Well, good morning, Grace Hill Church. I hope all of you guys are doing well, and I'm really praying you guys had an amazing Christmas. Um, My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and so if this is one of your first times tuning in to one of our services, or you have for a little bit, uh, I I really hope and pray that one day uh, that we will be able to meet in person, and I'm praying that as you tune into our services that your soul and your faith are just being built up and encouraged. You know, I can't believe this, but this is going to be my final sermon for the year 2020. And as I think about that, that's a little sobering to me. Because to be honest, as I look back at 2020, I feel sad. I mean, there's no doubt so much to be thankful for. God for me, for my family, for this church. God has provided for us in absolutely amazing ways, and I'm really thankful for that. But 2020 makes me sad. It makes me sad that our church family has not been all together since the beginning of March. It makes me sad to preach to a camera lens. Like I'm, I'm looking at a camera lens right now, and there's this disconnect between you and me. I, I know you're there. I, I know you're listening, but I can't, I can't see you. So we can't be in each other's presence. That, that makes me sad. It makes me sad that so many relationships, so many friendships, so many families and churches, luckily, and I praise God, not our church, but so many churches that the relationships were broken this year over a mask. It makes me sad that the global pandemic that we've been experiencing that has claimed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, it was politicized this year. Uh, The presidential election that we faced in 2020, that makes me sad. And not necessarily because of the outcome, but just because how we handled it as a country. You know, the hurt and the exhaustion of my minority brothers and sisters. What they're feeling this year, that makes me really sad. It makes me sad that my kids haven't seen many of their friends in months. And I see it in them. They miss them. That makes me sad. Uh, This year, my, my family, we had a foster daughter living with us since August of 2019. And she left our home this September So she was with us for over a year, and she left us this year. And I really miss her. And that makes me really, really sad. 2020 was a hard year for most people. It was a hard year for my family. And so as we draw this year to a close, I believe that what we had already planned for me to preach on this morning, just in God's providence, just really believe it's really appropriate. See, over the month of December and leading up to Christmas, we've been celebrating Advent. And last week, uh, Evan, one of our pastors at our church, preached to us about the incarnation, the birth of Christ and what it means that he came to us. He preached on the fact that we have a God who came to us and entered in the middle of our mess. And so the theme of our Advent series this year has been with us. And we've been studying in the scriptures this truth that if God is not with us, 
if we're not in his presence, then we as humanity, we return to dust. It is God who gives us life. And even though we've sinned against God, God has never stopped trying to pursue us and to be with us. And nothing makes that truth more obvious than the fact that Jesus has come to us in the middle of the mess. And 2020 has been a mess. And you know, Advent normally ends at Christmas. Uh, But the truth is, uh, we, you and I, and those of us in the church, we, just like the Israelites did in the Old Testament, we are also waiting on the advent, the coming of Jesus. We're waiting on the second advent of Jesus when he will come back to write the end of the story. See, when God created us, he was with us. No mediation, nothing between us. But then we sinned against God. So God left us in pain and suffering and death came into the world. Because when God is not with us, we return to dust. But God didn't leave us for good. He wanted to be with us. But we needed a mediator. Someone who could stand between us and God and reconcile that relationship. And so God's people waited and waited for that mediator to come. And on that first Christmas day, he came. Jesus, the one who would go to the cross, defeat death, and become our mediator. And so today, for those of us who trust in Jesus as this savior, this mediator, God is with us. But he's with us still, even today, in this mediated way, right? In the garden, the dwelling place of God was with man. But today, although we are reconciled to God, the dwelling place of God is not with man. Not yet, though. Because in Christ, we have been given the promise that one day, Christ will return and the dwelling place of God will be with us, with humanity for all of eternity. Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your inheritance that has been guaranteed to you. You will live in God's kingdom with God for eternity. You will have a body. You will have relationships. You will have hobbies and passions and a vocation. You will eat food and you'll feast with friends and you'll laugh and you'll live in joy. Right? You're not going to be floating in the clouds with the angels. God's kingdom is not an endless church service. It is a life redeemed where the dwelling place of God is with man. And you will live in this place. If Jesus is your mediator, this is your inheritance. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to go to the scriptures and I want us to imagine and meditate on what life will be like in God's kingdom when God is fully with us.
want us just to spend some time thinking about, imagining in our head what that's going to be like. And you might be wondering why. Why do we need to do that today? Well, imagine if one day you receive a call from someone, maybe a lawyer or somebody, and that person told you that you had this long-lost uncle or this long-lost great-grandparent or something who left you an enormous inheritance. Okay, I actually have a friend. This happened to him. And so this lawyer is like, hey, I, I need to wire you $10 million. And we've got some paperwork that we need to get done. All right, and so let's just say because of all of that paperwork, like the whole process would take mm, maybe 90 days from this phone call to when the money would actually hit your bank account. Now, let me ask you a question. How would your life change in those 90 days where you have not received the inheritance yet, but you have received the phone call and you know it's coming? Would you have less stress around your finances? Probably. Would your debt feel less heavy? Would you be a little less concerned about the future and being able to provide for your family or retirement and and all of those things? Right? Of course, because an inheritance is coming that you know is going to help you solve some of those problems. And Christian, you have an inheritance coming promised to you by God, guarded for you by God. And that inheritance is not something like money that might solve some problems in your life and will probably cause other problems in your life. No, you have an inheritance coming that is going to redeem the deepest parts of your soul. It's going to reconcile the deepest hurts you feel. It's going to restore your body to health. It's going to eradicate any feeling of anxiety or stress or depression or loneliness or shame or guilt or anger or hurt. You name it. It is the inheritance that your soul longs for. And if we're convinced that that inheritance is coming... If we have faith that God is going to keep that promise, how might it change the way we live our life today as we wait for it? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to open our Bibles together. And I want us to read from Revelation chapter 21. And I want us to learn about and read about and imagine this inheritance that is coming for us. So if you have a Bible, open it to Revelation 21. should be easy to find. It's the second to last chapter of the entire Bible. So just go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Go all the way to the end, to chapter 21. And this morning, I want us to study together Revelation 21, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read that for us right now. This is... The apostle John who wrote Revelation and God is giving him a vision of the end and and what is going to occur. And so here John is seeing the inheritance coming. And here's what he writes. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. We'll come back to that. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You know, the Bible opens its pages, the beginning of the Bible, with the dwelling place of God being with man. And we only get just a few pages in, just a three chapters in really where God, because of sin, has to separate himself from man. He no longer dwells with man. And this entire story, this entire Bible, all of those pages is about a God who in his grace is making a way where we could be together again for eternity. And the Bible ends the story. It closes out with the dwelling place of God being with man. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this passage that we just read a little more deeply. And I want to give you three ways life is going to be different in God's kingdom when God is fully with us. And as we study this together, I want you to imagine what this is going to be like. And I pray that we would believe that this is our inheritance and that it is coming and that it would change the way we live our lives today. So three ways life is going to be different when God dwells with us. Here's number one. Number one is this. Not only will all of redeemed humanity be reconciled to God, We are all also going to be reconciled to one another. All right, look at verse two with me again. Here's what what it says. It says this. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, there is so much imagery In that verse, we could spend a lot of time connecting that back to prophecies and Isaiah, and there's a lot there. But what the text is referring to when it refers to this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming out of heaven and descending upon the earth, it's talking about the church, the redeemed people of God. 
right? These are the people who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And the text describes these people as a people that have been prepared as a bride that has been adorned for her husband. And so here's my question. Like, what do these people look like? They've been prepared. They've been adorned. What do they look like? Well, the text is describing them as having been prepared and adorned for this very moment. This moment where they will enter the kingdom of God and they will live with God for all of eternity. Okay? So what do they look like? Now, I want to give you a description. All right? Turn back a few chapters in your Bible to Revelation chapter 7. Just a few pages back. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, okay? And, and look at, this is the description of, of the people who are in God's kingdom. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, look at this, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. Real quick, the, the Greek there, when it says all tribes and peoples, the Greek there is literally Ek pentos ethnus, right? From all, pentos is all ethnus, nations, all ethnic groups, all ethnicities. So the multitude of people, it is comprised of every ethnicity of people on planet earth. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. What do these people look like who've been prepared and adorned to dwell with God in his kingdom? They are reconciled, they are unified, and they are diverse. And we need to understand how radical that is. In God's kingdom, there will be a complete and utter absence of oppression and comparison. Not one single person will see themselves as superior to another. And not one single person will feel inferior to another. God will not have that in his kingdom and he will redeem and transform our hearts so that amongst humanity, there's going to be perfect unity. It will be absolutely impossible for any system of injustice or oppression or prejudice to be constructed in God's kingdom. Every single person will celebrate and recognize the dignity of every single person in God's kingdom. And all of us will look to our God, our King, and we will with joy together in unison worship him. So, so just imagine this with me. This is your inheritance, Christian. You will be there. You will be in that multitude, unified, reconciled, right? Imagine a place where you never have a voice in the back of your head that is worried about what other people think about you. Just won't be there. You won't worry about it. 
Imagine a place where there's no uniformity, but there's also no minority nor majority. Imagine a place where black is seen as beautiful to all. And so is brown and so is olive and so is white and everything in between. Imagine a place where no voices are silenced and where there is no exhaustion from defending your dignity. Imagine a place where deep, intimate relationships are safe and stable and they don't carry the potential to cut deep wounds. This is your inheritance. This is what God has for you. Eternity in a place where not only are you reconciled to God, but you're also reconciled to all people. But this is not our current reality, is it? This is not our current experience. Deep relationships with other people. It's something that our souls deeply long for. But deep relationships with other people have also caused some of the deepest wounds that we carry. And that leads me to the second way that life in God's kingdom will be different. And that's this. Number two, closure. Closure. Look at, look at verse three and part of verse four with me. Let me turn back. Verse three and verse four. John writes, he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Last week, Evan preached about the incarnation of Jesus when he comes to be with us. And I loved how he took us to John 4, where Jesus encountered the woman at the well. And Jesus just entered into the middle of the mess of this woman's life. And last week was just a good week to reflect how on that first Christmas day, Jesus enters our mess. He's not afraid of it. But here in Revelation 21, when it says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, what I believe that means is that he will bring closure to our mess. He'll bring an end to our mess. Every single one of us carries around with us wounds from living in this broken world. We live in a world where there is suffering. It's hard. Right? And this is absolutely oversimplifying a complex issue, but the majority of the wounds we carry around exist in the form, I think, of either hurt or shame. Right? Hurt is when we have wounds caused by others, and shame many times is when we have wounds caused by ourselves. And a lot of our wounds are complex blend of both, hurt and shame. And here's the thing about living life in the broken world. Our wounds tend to fester. Getting over hurt and shame in this world is more like learning to live with the pain or ignore the pain rather than the wound actually healing. You know, as one of your pastors, I have had the honor and the privilege of sitting with so many of you over these last few years and hearing about the wounds that you carry. 
I've heard your story about your father being more in love with his work than you. And how from a young age it taught you to always feel unworthy of someone's love or attention. I've heard your story about a family member doing things to you as a young girl that would always make you think twice about letting someone be close to you. I've heard your story about how many times you were abandoned and how that has made it so hard for you to ever trust anyone and how every time someone gets close to you, you just, you're not thinking if they'll abandon me, you're just asking when. I've heard your story of how you were denied the opportunity to pursue your dream because of the color of your skin or your gender and how exhausting it is when people invalidate that experience and tell you it didn't happen. I've heard your story about your family member taking their life. And all of the questions and hurt that came after that. Questions that you still have today. I've heard the story of your addiction. And the continued struggle that's been like a thorn in your side you can't get rid of. And you so long to get rid of it. I've heard the story about one of your parents striking and abusing you. And how that taught you to never express to anyone how you actually feel. I've heard so many stories. And I have sat with many of you in hospitals. As you have watched loved ones slip away. As you've lost friends. As you've watched cancer eat a person's body away. Or 